Oh, eating out, what a pleasure it can be to sit and choose from a big menu, the delight of the day. The more menu items, the more food waste in general. Most people would assume the main cause of food waste in a restaurant are the scraps left over by customers, but actually that's not the case. The majority of food waste is created during preparation, for example, due to bad planning. And the real challenge around measuring food waste is that kitchens are busy places and you've got a lot of high turnover. You've got people that are coming in and out of the kitchen. And how do you make sure that you're measuring everything that gets thrown away? One of Winnow's inventions is Winnow Vision. In a restaurant, food waste is put in a bin. The bin sits on a scale that measures the change in weight. A camera makes a before and after snapshot and Winnow Vision recognizes what was thrown away and how much was thrown away. In this interview, you will learn about the influence of chefs on food waste, why buffets are sometimes food waste production stations, and how AI can help us solve this problem. Let's jump right in. This is Red to Green, the audiobook style podcast where food tech meets sustainability. You're listening to season four on food waste. To support our work, please subscribe and share the episodes with your colleagues and friends. I'm your host, Marina Schmidt. In preparing for the interview, I was looking at some videos from IKEA uh, showcasing how they have used Winnow to reduce waste in their restaurants. And one thing that stood out to me was a video where the store manager was describing they were cooking this massive amount of fish soup. Let's say it was like about 300 liters, and then they would throw away 100 liters of fish soup because apparently people don't like fish soup as much as they think. Uh, the insane thing about it is the, how hard it is to quantify this. Yeah, so the example that you bring up from the IKEA store is not uncommon across a lot of our clients. I think that when you're cooking food, what you're often doing is in the mindset of wanting to make sure that you produce enough. And there's often a fear of running out. And what you tend to have is you have memories of running short on a product. And so then you up the production number to make sure that you don't run into that again. And then demand changes. And, and there you go. You find that you're actually wasting a lot. And that waste often happens at the end of day, at the end of service, where it's really the cleanup crew coming in and actually doing the disposal. And it may not necessarily be the same individual or team that was doing the preparation. And so there's a gap there between the two as well. Yeah, interesting. The original title of Red to Green is derived from me having a strong connection to colors and red representing the problems, the harmful aspects of the food industry and green representing the solutions and how we can improve the situation. So let's look at the red side of the issue. How much of an issue is waste in the hospitality sector? So for example, waste by consumers in restaurants. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, so we tend to think about why the food waste happens or kind of where it comes from, right? And you could break it down into four main categories. What people often think about when they think about food waste is what I call spoilage, which is really just stuff that you bought that you didn't make use of. And often that's what people think drives food waste in homes. But contrary to this, it's a very small portion of what's wasted in restaurants. They get regular deliveries of food and have a lot of flexibility in what they serve. So you've got 
spoilage. And then what you have is what I call sort of preparation waste. Some of this is unavoidable, which we don't ever put a value on. Some of it is very avoidable, and it's basically yield on product that's not maximized. It's edible food that otherwise is thrown away. You then have one of the biggest sources of food waste, which is overproduction. And overproduction is when you cook too much food or prepare too much food in a mise en place, which is all the food that you prepare out before you actually start the sort of cooking process. Or if you have an offer where food is prepared in advance, whether that be in a hotel, a quick service operation, a buffet, a staff restaurant, or a school or university, all of those foods are prepared in advance. You will have food that is prepared but not served with that. And then finally, you'll have plate waste the food people take onto their plates and they don't eat. Now, the way that breaks down into a kitchen is varied depending on what type of operation they have. But generally, we find that it's about 10 to 20% of all food that's purchased by value that ends up being thrown away, which is a really big number. And we tend to find that particularly in kitchens that prepare food in advance, that over half of that comes from overproduction. And so that's one of the main areas that we like to focus in on. But there's also substantial opportunities in right-sizing portions, getting people to take the amount of food that they're going to eat, as well as optimizing the yield or reducing the avoidable preparation waste that comes in the door. Not all food service providers are created equal. Some concepts are just set up to create food waste. For example, buffets. You know, it's up to 40% of what people are buying being thrown away. And I guess where that tends to happen is it tends to happen in the most opulent, luxurious buffets that I see out there. And it's this challenge, honestly, where these companies, they actually don't really want to waste food. It's not like they do it out of lack of care. It's they have to have so much availability and that availability poorly managed drives a lot of waste. But what we often do with customers that are in that position is we can drive that waste down by 70 to 80% and have no impact on the quality of offer. In fact, customers barely even notice. And so they just don't have the tools to be able to offer the sort of food offer that they want to have while also minimizing waste at the same time. And you were saying that you have uh, a few interesting stories regarding edible food being thrown away. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, so we talked a little bit about where food waste happens in a kitchen, right? And we said there's spoilage, there's preparation waste, there's overproduction, and, and there's plate waste. I find that one of the easiest wins is getting after overproduction. It's just better production planning. It's better mindfulness. It's better batch cooking. And having accountability around that's really, really, really important. But where I find that the most creativity comes from And where I find the chefs get most excited is when thinking about products that otherwise would be waste that are then turned into delightful products that are being served. And a couple of examples of this. There's like the classic, which is turning beetroot offcuts into a sweetener for things like brownies and other sort of starchy vegetables like carrots and so forth that can end up going into products. You go into really high-end cuisine, and I was part of a dinner in Dubai where we were raising awareness on food waste. And one of the hotels we were working with, the chef organized the entire menu out of food that would have otherwise been thrown away. And it started off with a broth a soup with crisped Parmesan cheese that was just frankly delicious and a really nice appetizer. It then went into a beef cheek that was really slowly cooked until it was pretty much almost falling apart, made with a sauce of 
basically off-cut vegetables that were made for other parts of the kitchen throughout the day. And then I believe, if I remember correctly, it ended with a sort of refined coffee ground cake with mousse at the end that was ground down and refined so that it almost had sort of a cocoa flavor to it when it was done. And it was at that moment that there was one thing, like a real light bulb that came off for me because you could see the passion in that chef's eyes as they were sharing what they had gone to create. And I think that's a really important aspect of this because people get into being chefs because they have a passion for food. They have a passion for being creative with that food. Now, the role demands you to be an operations manager, to be a salesperson, to be a head of HR. You have to do tons of different roles when you're a chef. And we help them do some of those important operational planning exercises with our technology. But when we can unleash that creativity and unleash it for good, then we're really moving in concert with what they got into the job for in the first place to do, which is really exciting. Yeah, and I noticed that a friend of mine, she is a chef and she founded Roots Radicals, which creates interesting products only made from food waste. And then she notices, oh, in the process of creating it, there's another waste product that is created. And she's trying to create this closed loop system where sometimes she gets inspiration from um, side invention or an accident <laughs> during the creation process. And that just shows how fascinating the mind of a chef can be trying to make something that others would see as waste into the center of a new product. Yeah, I think it's really, really interesting that, right? I was speaking to somebody recently, a guy named Matt, who founded a company called Rethink, and he was hearkening back to when we used to bring food into a kitchen, what you did was you sourced an ingredient and you thought about what you could make everything from that product. And looking at the product and saying, there's all these different things that I can do with the product as opposed to setting a recipe and then sourcing an ingredient only for the center cut of what you want to have. And then looking at the rest of it as waste is really kind of turning on its head, if you will, the way that we have historically done this. And in some ways, what we're doing is we're going back to what we used to do. But what's really cool right now is we can go back to what we used to do with a whole new set of tools and a whole new set of technology to solve problems in a different way. And that's what's there. I also want to pick up on the fact that, you know, and, and everyone does it, we called it food waste. Frankly, it's not waste until it's made it to the bin. Otherwise, it's frankly just food. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to make sure that we make the most use of the food that comes in the door and actually not let any of it go to waste as part of that. As I was reading some of the material on Winnow, I was noticing a number of references to nudges. This is Jesse Horseman, senior producer of the season, who joined me for this episode. And I'm assuming that's a behavioral nudge, so something that will change behavior. You've talked a lot about how you capture the data and what gets measured gets managed, essentially. But as you transition from just management to really changing behavior, what are some of the nudges that kitchens are using or that you suggest to kitchens on how to reduce waste? So first of all, in terms of nudges, to know that you're tracking something and to know that you now have a metric. Businesses have this way of when you look at something, you seek to improve it. And so that in itself, I would say, is a nudge. And we display the value of what's being wasted at all times kind of on the system over the bin. There's a regular report that goes out. It gets benchmarked across it. Some of the most powerful nudges are to compare oneself to others who are like you. 
and to know where you rank. And you have both the behavior of people who are ranking really well, wanting to strive to do better, and the people who are ranking poorly in that benchmark, looking to improve their ranking in that benchmark. So there's a real virtuous circle when you do the right level of benchmarking and and comparison in that. We started doing some work with Melco, which is a casino owner in Macau, and we work with the London School of Economics on this. And, And the question we were trying to answer is, how do you nudge people to take the right amount of food on their plates? Some of the nudges are to, first of all, raise awareness of what it is to be able to highlight and show how they compare against others, again, that benchmarking, and to celebrate success along the way to engage people on that. And what we ended up being able to do was to drive down what was coming back from place by 35%, just by some simple posters, some simple measurement of what was there. We also paired that with the photos of what was coming back from plates. So we kind of knew what people weren't eating and kind of had some specific interventions to get there. A lot like these issues elsewhere in the kitchen, it tends to be a lot of small things that add up. It's not one specific thing that unlocks it. You need a combination of the data, the benchmarking, you need to change behavior in the kitchen, and you need to know specifically what you need to do so that you can empower people to be able to reduce that waste within the framework of their role. And I think the one common thread that we see is we really don't ever run into people who want to waste food. That's a great thing about about dealing with this issue of food waste is that for everyone, it's a win-win to actually solve this problem. And so beyond the monetary savings, the value that we're also delivering is more team engagement. If you make it easy to reduce waste and you show that you're doing the right thing, then people working in the kitchen tend to be happy that actually their environment... I mean, imagine in some of these environments working in a operation that's wasting a lot of food. So you got into being a chef because you have a love for food. And every single day, you're letting a lot of that food just go straight into the bin. That is in itself something that is just a constant drag on team morale. But then to turn that into a positive and actually reduce that and drive it down and get on top of that issue is a real positive. And we think that's important as well when considering why an organization might want to get more serious about dealing with food waste. And so you are distinguishing between kitchen waste and the plate waste. Do you have any information or data on the ratio? How much is it kitchen waste? How much plate waste in general? Yeah. So the term that's typically used, there's kitchen waste, which is often determined as pre-consumer waste, meaning it hasn't actually gone on to a plate. And then Plate waste, which is everything that went onto a plate, was served to someone, but then not eaten. And generally, it's about, by value, it's about 70% is pre-consumer waste and about 30% is plate waste. Of course, there's variability in that. If I have a high portion restaurant where I'm giving people more food than they can possibly consume, then plate waste tends to be bigger. It is when bigger maybe at most 60% of the problem, but more often 40 to 50% of the problem. I think that people remember times when there's a whole bunch of food that came back from a plate and those kind of stick in their mind for one reason or another. And we've even had clients that questioned our data in the outset because they did not believe that 
so much of the waste was coming from the kitchen. But I, I think in some ways it's a positive because it also says that there's a lot of the opportunity that is directly within your control where you don't even have to engage with your customers, right? But the whole area of waste is frankly addressable. I do think one of the challenges very realistically is how much of a role do you want to play in educating and pushing people to take less? Does that fit with the brand proposition of the buffet itself? And you know, a lot of our customers honestly struggle with that a little bit because there is some of that dichotomy, right? Often we're interfacing with people that are at a moment of holiday or celebration and to then say you need to restrain is challenging. I think it would be misguided to do anything around shaming a customer or talking to them about why taking extra food on their plate is bad. But then there's a lot of stuff going back to this idea of nudges that you can do that are generally invisible to the customer that drives a similar outcome. And some of that are basics. Do you need to give people giant plates? Because people just tend to load up on plates. And so do you actually focus on plate size? Do you have a layout change that you make? And making sure that you are giving people very simple serving spoons, that's a recommended portion as opposed to very, very large portions that they would take themselves because people will not be thinking at that level when they are going and serving themselves. You can do that thinking for them. And then when you look at some of the highest cost items that are being wasted, and we don't want any food to go to waste, but I am completely remiss when I see a salmon or some beef or some chicken being thrown away. I mean, not just from the cost, but something gave its life to basically be on that plate and then to waste it to me seems like just such a crime. And so kind of in those examples, can you help people take the right portions and actually make it a bit more of an interactive experience where you get served with those items? And those are the types of small nudges along the way, I guess, sort of invisible hand that is guiding people to take the right amount as opposed to letting it just be a sort of unthought through free-for-all. And and those types of design questions are things that make it fairly easy for people to make the right decisions. And that's really what you have to do when you're thinking about these types of activities. So, Mark, if you would have 50 million in what businesses or ideas would you invest in if you wouldn't be able to invest in Winnow? Well, I definitely am a firm believer in the opportunity around food waste. And so... I think some of the exciting technologies are some of the platforms to help companies sell food that otherwise would be wasted like a too good to go. I am really excited about what's being done upstream. While it's a smaller part of the food waste problem, looking at how you can capture more from the farm and even saving products that get wasted on the farm are of real potential value. So it would definitely be in those areas. Beyond that, I'm a very firm believer in the value of or sort of the opportunities around just the environmental challenges we face. And so see real potential, obviously, in things like batteries and renewable energies. But, you know, those are very mature at this time, so a little bit less risky. But I would probably put part of my portfolio into that because I just believe in the long term need for that to, for that to happen. And regarding food sustainability or agriculture, what is an unusual or controversial opinion that you hold that many people would disagree with? I'm interested to see how the animal protein alternatives play out. I definitely believe in 
the environmental benefits of them, and I see that as a huge win. But I question some of the health impacts of them, that they are easily confused, that they're more environmentally conscious, and therefore they're in fact healthier, when in sort of a lot of cases they may not necessarily be. What I do think something that is needed is just a shift towards more of a plant-based diet and appreciating the plants for what they are, as opposed to trying to turn them necessarily into meat. And at least whenever I eat foods, that's what I focus on. And I would love there for be a way for us to move in that direction. Yeah. Mark, how can listeners connect with you? So the best way to reach out is through the Winnow website, info at winnowsolutions.com, or just going onto our website to reach out and contact. If they want to personally get in touch with me, LinkedIn's the best way to reach out. Um, always available through there. Cool. Nice. Thank you for being on Red to Green, Mark. Yeah, it was a pleasure to have you on Red to Green. All right. Thank you very much for the time. Thanks for listening. I love, 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 love to hear from listeners. Let's connect. Find me on LinkedIn. My name is Marina Schmidt. M-A-R-I-N-A. Marina and Schmidt. S-C-H-M-I-D-T. Or simply look for Red to Green on LinkedIn and you will find me. Until next time, let's move the food industry from harmful to healthy, from polluting to sustainable, from red to green. 